Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's a wide open! Remarkable! Touchdown! Buffalo! Davis again! This is... Uh, it just is impossible! A laser beam! Dawson Knox! Touchdown! Buffalo! Allen gets out of the pocket. We know how dangerous he is with his legs, and there he goes! Josh Allen! It's two builds in a pod with Daniel Hahn and Jordan McGee on Sports War Radio. And with that, welcome back to another episode of Two Bills in a Pod. Jordan McGee, Daniel Hahn here with you as always. Happy summer. We are starting mini camp. I know Daniel's favorite thing in the whole world. Forget the playoffs, forget the Super Bowl. It is a mini camp season. That is getting underway, and uh, some news and notes going along around the league as we have got to get to some a little bit of catching up here, but although being a little bit quiet still on the NFL front here as we are in mid-June. But uh, Daniel, hope you're enjoying the summer. It is getting hot here in Syracuse to the point where I feel like I'm sweating by doing nothing. So that's always like the fun point when we hit summer where it's just so hot that even doing nothing will make you go out into a sweat. Yeah, I don't know how warm it is up there in uh, in New York, but I know here in Indianapolis, there it is at 98 degrees currently, mm. uh, and it's supposed to be in the upper 90s the entire week. We have a heat advisory, spoiler alert. Um, so, yeah, it is very hot. I think it's pool season officially, um, lake season if you're nearby one. All the seasons that involve water activity, I think, are where my head's at right now, or AC, one or the other, but... Yeah, everything is going well here. We are getting closer and closer to NFL returning. We've switched, Jordan, from voluntary team activities to mandatory team activities, so you know you're getting closer, which is exciting. Uh, But, yeah, everything here is going fantastic, just hot and enjoying life. How are you doing over there? We are doing all right. Summertime is going. You know, got off on a little vacation, got my hair done and relaxing, so we are in the midst of a nice little um, midst of summer. It's June. Also, happy Pride Month uh, because happy Pride. Um, and, yeah, you know, I'm just going to catch up on some Bill's talk as, again, quiet the past since the last time we talked two weeks. But still, some things are going on, which is worth talking about on a Buffalo Bills podcast. And we'll get to that. But just note that I noted that I was not invited on said vacation with you. Um, uh, I appreciate it, but I also am guessing that you probably did not vacation to the hotbed of, you know, resorts and vacation activity that is the Midwest of the United States. So, no, um, I in fact went luck. nowhere. 
Oh, well, just no working. That's that's a staycation, and that's awesome. Yes, it was, and I it was fantastic. That. I support that 100%. But you alluded to it. The Bills do have some news, so we will get to that here, starting first with some new Buffalo Bills, because you can have up to 90 players in camp, so why not bring in some veterans and see how it goes, especially with training camp around the corner, three preseason games, and you got injuries that will happen, so... Let's bring in some guys after the draft to see where we can fill out this roster. And starting off, the Bills have added another offensive lineman, ex-Jets offensive lineman, Craig Van Roten. I added that rolling of the R's. I don't know if that's I was going to say, very, not, very uh, not I that. Wanna, I want to pronounce his name that way. And if it's not pronounced as, that way, that's what we're going to call him. But... He joins a, I don't want to say a reshuffled offensive line, but he's another veteran. He has divisional experience. The Bills obviously played against him the last few seasons that they are familiar with his strengths, weaknesses from tape. So you have to believe that they bring him in with the expectation of how they would use him, um, maybe what he can work on and see if he's developed in certain ways. But the Jets just cut this guy in May. Um, So he was a late, late, late cut. He's not someone who's been sitting out there for a while. He's got several starts for the Jets. Um, I'm not going to say that this is someone who's going to, A, make the roster, B, be a major impact, but you look at him on paper, you look at his experience, and you say, okay, this is a veteran that could offer some rotational value as a reserve offensive lineman. He's also someone that you can hedge your bets if, say, the Tommy Doyles or Spencer Browns take a little bit of a step back or not as much of a step forward. You're still thinking this offensive line is going to be kind of healed and going great with, two second-year players, and then, you know, Roger Saffold, who's never really been injured, but he is up there in age on the left side. Mitch Morse has been on and off the field injury. So long story short, I like the signing. There's nothing really wrong. I can say it's a low-risk move, um, but not going to say this is going to be the game-changer. And all of a sudden, James Cook and Devin Singletary are going to be back-to-back 1,000-yard rushers. (laughs) But it is a nice depth signing this time of year. Yeah, again, from what we've heard from Jets fans was he was kind of just meh as a starter. You know, nothing that is going to be, you know, uh, game changing, so to say. But again, the name of the game is depth. And um, listen, it feels like this Bills line is more stabilized and improved if anything, there you can never go wrong with having just too much depth. You know what I mean? Like, it's a long season, you know, 17 games. You just, you need to basically have your, you know, break, break glass in case of emergency, your plan B, your plan C, your plan Ds, even maybe a plan E. Um, you just got to have all your options available for you on the table. And, you know... Listen, it's a, it's not, you know, he's got starting experience, which I know, you know, maybe even if you struggle as a starter, it's not great, but it's still starting experience. It's still something he can build on. It's still something that he could maybe work on with the Bills. So, I mean, you'll take whatever depth you can get, uh, especially when you kind of take a late flyer on someone in, you know, in June, you know, about a month and a half or so before, uh, you know, training camp begins. Because remember, the, the Bills are going to be, opening up training camp earlier than anyone else because they're going to be playing um, week one or, you know, that opening game Thursday against the Rams. So, you know, things are going to start getting a little bit earlier for them. And, you know, we'll just have to wait, remain, and see what's going to happen. Exactly. And you can't go wrong with depth. And that's what this is about. You're 
you know, again, this this late in the game, I don't think you're going to be looking for starters, but, you know, hopefully he's better than Bobby Hart. I think Bills fans would take that <laughs> at the minimum maybe, but we'll wait and see. But Greg Van Roten is a now a Buffalo Bill. And another signing that happened while we have not recorded in our two-week uh, little gap here this summer yeah, Jordan, surprise. I didn't put in the notes, but it happened, and you'll remember it. The Bill signed wide receiver Tavon Austin yeah. as another depth signing and another slot receiver. And if the name sounds familiar, he's a former, what, sixth overall pick in the draft, um, I believe by the Rams, yep. were the team that took him very high, definitely undersized, super, super, super fast, um, had amazing hands in college. I still think the – the combination of Geno Smith, Stedman Bailey, and Tavon Austin at West Virginia was a almost a, a a work of art offense to watch. Those three guys just had amazing chemistry with each other. Um, none of them have really translated that to uh, NFL success on a consistent basis. But Tavon Austin, once again, um, adds depth to the wide receiver room. He's going to come in, compete for the slot positions, obviously compete for returning positions. Once again, don't know if he makes the team. Don't know what his role would be if he did make the team. You got a lot of guys that you recently drafted, especially, and you brought back Isaiah McKenzie that do essentially what Tavon Austin does. Um, it's weird for me, Jordan. Like four years ago, I would have been doing a attempting a, to do a backflip for Tavon Austin, but now at this stage of his career and with the roster and with the other guys at the exact same position, I'm just kind of like, okay. Cool. Let's see what happens. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I didn't realize Tavon Austin was still in the league. Um, you know, Well, he was in Jacksonville last year. That's why you didn't recognize right, that. Right, in a place where everything goes to die. Uh, correct. Um, still, surprised he was still in the league. Um, it's interesting, but he's just, I, I don't you know, necessarily believe he's going to make it on the 53-man roster considering, like you said, the depth of the position already with Stephon Diggs and Gabriel Davis and Jamison Crowder, and you add in Khalil Shakir, the, our draft pick from Boise State. It's just Isaiah McKenzie. You know, it is it is a lengthy roster. Now, Tavon Austin could be an interesting... I think the best way he's going to compete for a spot is as a punt or kick returner, which means he's competing against Isaiah McKenzie and Marquez Stevenson. Um, so... It's interesting. I really don't know how much Tavon Austin has left in the tank, um, but why not? I mean, it's just sort of like, you know, it's it kind of, it feels like a, hey, you know, you bought these two things to get the, you know, a third for free. And you're like, I didn't really want the third one, but if it's a cheap, sure, why not? You know, like doesn't hurt you. And I think if Tavon Austin does make this team, his impact is probably going to be as a punt and kick returner. Um it's it's worth exploring, but again, how much does he have left in the tank? Uh, I'm not I'm not really quite sure. No, there's nothing that you should get too too amped up, even if you're a big Tavon Austin fan. Yes, the the concept of someone with that skill set in this offense potentially is very salivating. But like you said, there's multiple guys: Khalil Shakir, Marquez Stevenson, Isaiah McKenzie, Jamison Crowder that are all ahead of Tavon Austin potentially are at the same exact spot that do not just the slot receiver work, but also the, um, the kick return, punt return work. Almost all those guys do the same thing, and that's before you get into any of the, the Micah Hyde that do some of that, or will James Cook do a little bit of that too. 
there's a lot of guys competing for return spots. And side note, Jordan, all of them are going to really struggle to showcase themselves when it comes to punt return drills because ain't nobody returning a good punt on the punt god in training camp. So that, know, that's, that's right. a side note. Yes, yes. You just got to lo- learn that one, too. So I'll have to use the jugs machine to give them some competition there. But in, in reality, this feels like a Madden-type move with Brandon being like, I got some extra money. There's some guy in the free agents on my little search window for Madden. Let me just add Tavon Austin. Why not? Um, but what is interesting to me about this move is I do wonder, with all those guys that kind of fit the same mold, you wonder what this Ken Dorsey offense will look like because you still don't fully know. You expect maybe a little more tight end usage split-wide. We thought maybe James Cook would be split-wide. So you wonder, okay, what type of formations are the Bills going to prefer to run with Ken Dorsey with all these guys doing the same thing that you look at them and you say their best skill set would be like on a bubble screen or a short slot move or a reverse or lining up one of these guys in the running back position and then letting them go do pass routes. There's so many guys that feel like that would be their best fit in an offense or on a formation that I'm starting to think that's going to be part of the playbook pretty regularly. That's going to be a major staple of this Ken Dorsey offense because it's not like you're just adjusting for Isaiah McKenzie. I think all these guys did the same thing, and it's so apparent that maybe it's it's a clue into maybe what the Bills want to do offensively with Ken Dorsey that they didn't do much of in the last couple of years under Brian Dayball. Yeah, again, I think that's also the fun thing too, right? Like you said, there's so many different options. Like the options are kind of limitless for this Bills offense. And again, it also speaks to a point of depth. You know, while Tavon Austin may not be the electrifying player he was at West Virginia, if God forbid injuries come, I, I think Tavon Austin could be serviceable in sort of a uh, backup role. So, again, it's adding depth, adding weapons, adding as much as possible in your ammunition to make sure that you are going to be fully successful going into 2022. And, you know, basically having your emergency kits ready to go, God forbid if injuries happen, that you have a fully staffed and ready-to-go team uh, going into 2022. Exactly. And now that we've talked, I think, pretty substantially about two guys who may not be on the team, um, <laughs> <laughs> there's only the night. I mean, again, this, this roster is very deep, and it's so odd to say, man, these late signings that seem like really good, solid veterans to add depth may not make a roster, but that's how strong the roster is, which is a credit to, to Brandon Bean and the development that all these guys they've drafted and signed over the years have really gone through. Um, but let's talk about someone who will be on the team, maybe. Jordan Poyer, he is attending mandatory minicamp that starts this week. In fact, the Bills have 100% attendance at mandatory minicamp. So you get to see Von Miller in Bills gear, which looks real nice, as well as several other players. But even though he is attending mandatory minicamp, he will not be practicing. Jordan Poyer, represented by Drew Rosenhaus, he is looking for a new long-term contract with the Bills. We don't know what this entails or where it's going, but I'll say this. In being we trust, trust the process, all that good stuff, Jordan Poyer and Tremaine Edmonds are the two kind of big contracts next on the Bills' docket, and I don't know the order in which they come through, but Jordan Poyer is obviously going to go the route of using his body the least amount to prevent injury to try to get a new deal 
It hasn't been clear if he's going to hold out in training camp or games. I don't think he is, but he's just trying to make the point known. He wants a new contract, and of course he deserves one, but the Bills have to make the money work. So Jordan Poyer, Jordan, <laughs> Jordan Poyer, Jordan, yeah, I'm not going to say that too many times, but he is, he, he skipped voluntary OTAs, mandatory minicamp. He has arrived, and the Bills have 100% attendance. I think if anything, it's a good sign in terms of a good faith of Jordan Poirier basically saying, hey, you know, there isn't bad blood. Everyone's good. But he wants a new contract, yes, but there is not this a um, this bad blood, so to say, you know, by showing up to minicamp, which is good. You know, I, it just shows that they're still, they're, you know, the front office and Jordan Poirier are on good terms. There is no bad beef. It's just kind of the, you know, the back and forth of contract negotiations that, you you know, one way this way, you know, crossing the T's and dotting the I's to make sure everything is good. So it's an encouraging sign. Um, you know, we'll see when training camp comes around, like you said, if there's going to be an actual holdout or something to that effect. But it is good to see that, you know, again, Jordan Poyer is showing up, you know, not, you know, because he could easily just say no. And hold out, right? As many players have done before. But, you know, again, I think it shows, hey, he's committed to the team that, you know, he's showing a sign of good faith and, you know, hopeful that they can kind of get this done before the season starts and that this doesn't have to linger out much longer. But it just, I guess, it's a good sign that he's showing up that, again, that there is still good, good vibes with him in the front office. It's just a matter of, you know, getting down the details of what an extension would look like. It's very interesting, too, because as good as Jordan Poyer is, it's always been like everyone just expects this deal to get done at some point, and no one seems that concerned. Like, he's going through the motions that the playbook that a player would do wanting a new deal. But in all of his comments, he said all the things like, I expect to be in Buffalo long-term. Brandon Bean expects him to be in Buffalo. Sean McDermott wants him. But it's like no one is even remotely trying to play this like game of will they pay him, will they not. I think everyone knows it's coming, what the numbers are, how close they can get it working. And I think for the Bills, again, they're kind of up against it with the cap, right? So they just got to make sure they, they move the money around and split it out year after year in a way that makes a lot of sense. Um, to make sure the team can also sign other guys and re-sign other guys. And you, what you don't want is you don't want comments like Tremaine Edmonds came out earlier today saying, yeah, a contract is on my mind, knowing he's entering the last year of his deal. Not saying that he's holding out, obviously. He's playing to earn a long-term deal. But you don't want players thinking about other things than just being on the field, playing fast, what's going to happen on and off the field later on. Um, so Tremaine Edmonds is kind of in a different boat, but – Jordan Poyer, if he plays, I think he's going to be his normal, should be all pro self. But we'll see when that deal gets done. The, the glass half full person would say, well, he's at mandatory minicamp. Maybe that means it's so close he can just sign it at any moment and then he can jump on the field, right? Um, but he is in Buffalo. And again, the Bills, 100% attendance. That's the best you can do for mandatory minicamp. So they are good to go and they are cooking all the way through. Next up, someone who's at minicamp but not going to be available the first six games of the season. That is Bill's reserve linebacker, Andre Smith. He tested positive for PEDs. He will be out for six games. Um, it's a reserve linebacker, so I know everyone's not going to be losing their minds over this, but six games is a big chunk of the season. 
Um, whether you like uh, whether you like the rookies that they've drafted and some of the other linebackers, Andre Smith is a reservist who plays a lot on special teams. He does sub in. You're replacing AJ Klein. You got some rookies that you're going to try to do that with, but. Uh, six games is six games, the big loss, and this just goes back to our main point that we talk about every time we end these podcasts this summer. Uh, I don't want to hear anything about any Bills players because nothing good can happen unless we're talking about the match. But this case, Bills player hits the news, and it's PED suspension, so he is on the shelf for six months or six weeks. I mean, it's not great, but also I'm not like, oh, no, how will we get by without Andre Smith? You know, like, obviously, it's never great when a player tests positive for PEDs. But at the same time, if I'm being truthful, it didn't really I, I it didn't register an emotion for me when I saw the news. I was just like, oh, well, then, uh, you know, that's just kind of my reaction to it. And that's just. For the fact that Andre Smith is just a role player. And, uh, you know, if, if you substitute the name for Tremaine Evans or Matt Milano, then we're having an entirely different conversation. Um, but Andre Smith is a backup, and I would be lying if I said I felt uh, any sort of emotions of like, oh, no, how will we how will we do this without him? It's never great, obviously, but I guess it could be worse. You know, at this time of the year, it, there's a lot more worse things that could happen than a role player being suspended for PEDs. It just, you know, if, if that's the worst thing that happens this offseason, then then that's a, you know, we'll, we'll take it, essentially. You know, I, when I woke up this morning and I knew we were going to record, I didn't think that I'd have to call you out for being the emotionalist one of the two of us on this podcast. Usually... Usually we have a nice little thing going here. You're you're all over the place, and I ground you. But in this case, well, granted, there's nothing to get emotional about. You have just indicated that you have no emotions whatsoever to the life and well-being of Andre Smith and his performance on the field. Um, yes, I'm exaggerating that, but I want you to know that if you're not cheating, you're not trying. And he was cheating, and he tried, but he just got <laughs> caught. So it didn't work out well for him. Uh, but, yeah, he suspended six weeks. Um, so he will be back. So some of those rookie reservists, they'll just have to step up in terms of being able to fill the role should, you know, should Milano and Edmonds need a break. Um, next up, let's talk emotions, shall we? Because here's one for you. Ryan Fitzpatrick has retired from the mm -hmm. NFL, and yes, he is in the Bills section because when you are a player actively and you go to a Bills playoff game and rip your shirt off with your kids, um, I feel like you belong in the Bills news section. I, I have no issues with that. Um, so, Jordan, I want to talk real quick. Ryan Fitzpatrick, um, obviously not the franchise quarterback that the Bills were hoping for when they signed him to a pretty big extension back in the day. Um, but he gave some really good years, some exciting moments in the Bills. I think the highlight of his career is probably going to be his Bills tenure Mix that in with saying some of the, the hot flashes, I guess you could say that he had with the Jets. Um, the Bucks, he also came in hot at, for several weeks at various times. But um, I want to get your thoughts on Ryan Fitzpatrick, Ryan Fitzmagic retiring. Where do you think he stands in terms of, you know, favorite players of the Bills? I mean, again, very short tenure, but very interesting. I don't know if there's a Fitzmagic moment that you will personally enjoy the most when you think back on his career. Um, but, and I'll tell you mine, which you probably already know what it is, but 
Fitz magic. He is out of the NFL officially. Yeah, I mean, obviously, there's Bill's Mafia and Ryan Fitzpatrick. There is a love that will never go away. I think he, I think the one moment that stands out was when that game, I think it was 2012 when the Bills beat the Pats. And, you know, while, yes, it was a regular season game and nothing really came about it afterwards, how just cool that moment was. Um you know, he spent the most time in his career in Buffalo. I grant it four seasons. But, you know, when Fitzpatrick talks about Buffalo, there's a fondness to when he talks about Buffalo more than any other team that he played with. You know, the Jets or the Rams or the Dolphins or, you know, the Commanders. You know, there is a fondness to Buffalo and Ryan Fitzpatrick. I, I don't know if they'll put him on the Wall of Fame. Um, in Buffalo, but I think he should. Again, I granted four seasons. You're like, come on, like that, really? But uh, he's just synonymous with Buffalo. You know, he gave for a, a brief time a little bit of hope. You know, at that quarterback position. You know, was he the long term ever going to be the long term answer? No. Um, but he led them to a little bit of success, a little bit of hope. You know, Ryan Fitzpatrick embodies Bill's mafia and I think you know because yes he's played for a lot of teams but I think when people look back on his career they're going to remember him most for his time with the Bills you know I I think just because one by virtue of that's the longest tenure he had with any franchise but two that's just kind of some of his most memorable moments he was a roller coaster up and down and left and right you know, there's always a soft spot for Ryan Fitzpatrick. And for a guy who, yeah, a quarterback from Harvard who probably should have never made it as far and as long as he did, he did the damn thing. And he had quite a pretty solid career. Um, so I would love to see him on the Wall of Fame in Buffalo. I don't know if that's going to necessarily happen. But um, yeah, I think his time will always be remembered as a Bill, even though he played for several different teams after his time in Buffalo. I think he's hopefully going to be remembered more for as a build than anyone else. Wait a minute. Did you say he went to Harvard? I did not know that. I did not know he was an Ivy League quarterback. Strange. I've never heard that Never at all. Uh, No one's ever brought it up ever. He must have been high football IQ then. So, yeah. I mean, I agree with everything. I... There, first of all, there's no way he gets on the Bills Wall of Fame, but I do think he's going to be an integral part of potentially like, I'm not saying a Bills ambassador, right? But he's one of those people that they'll bring back to, you know, lead the charge from time to time. He'll be a guest, um, guest around the team as often as probably they can get him because he is a very highly, highly thought of individual. He's been on just about every team in the NFL, right? But he's got a high character. Um, when you saw his retirement message with all of the teammates that he played for, the biggest names tended to be the Bills teammates that he had, particularly Eric Wood, his center was a uh, large print uh, right up the middle there. Um, but he had some really good moments um, that those teams weren't the greatest, but those offenses were pretty exciting. And I'll say my favorite, even though it's kind of a downer moment, um, it's not the New England game. For me, it was the bomb to Stevie Johnson to win the game that um. did not work out. And not only was it a great play and an amazing throw, but um, that was also when Stevie Johnson gave me one of my favorite quotes where he just went on Twitter and just asked God why he did him like that, Um, which, you know, only God can answer to Stevie why he did him like that, even though he got praised every day. Um, But, 
you know, very interesting times in Buffalo. Um, Ryan Fitzpatrick also, I mean, he's the reason probably Stevie Johnson had such an amazing run with the Bills, too. Two guys who improvised, two guys who just had a kinship in terms of knowing what the other wanted to do. And, and I don't think they really found, especially Stevie didn't find the same success elsewhere after that kind of relationship had to change. Um, so we'll see. I do know it sounds like Ryan Fitzpatrick will be the Amazon prime color commentary team this upcoming season. So he's already got another gig worked out. Um, he was on Eric Woods podcast uh, talking about his retirement and the decisions that led up to that. So that's a good listen and a short listen if you just want to hear from the man himself. But um, I think we'll see a lot more Ryan Fitzpatrick around Bill's mafia, especially and interacting with Bill's mafia. Like you said, I think that's the, the fan base that he relates closest to or the one that he has the biggest kinship for. Again, you're not going to see active players show up in other teams' stands for playoff games. That's not very often that that will ever occur. But Ryan Fitzpatrick did this past year against the New England Patriots at the, you know, at New Era Field, so, um, or at Highmark Stadium. See, they keep changing the name. I on know. Me. I'm like three, three things behind. But uh, sad day, but also, you know, kind of a happy day that he's out there with his, you know, billion kids and, and living his best life in retirement now. Next up, Jordan, last thing, CBS Sports. They have a list of the third-year players that they're expecting to break out this year. And on the list is Bill's wide receiver, Gabriel Davis. He joins a list that includes Denver's Jerry Judy, Jacksonville's LaVisca Chenault, Houston's Jonathan Greenard, um, so Jordan, I don't know if you agree with that or not. Those are the main guys. Also, you know, Benjamin from Arizona, the running back is on that list as well. Um, honestly, this is kind of a, if you're making a list of third year guys, you expect to kind of take the next step. Gabriel Davis seems like a slam dunk duh to me, especially after the five touchdown performance against Kansas city. The only question will be is what would constitute maybe a breakout? Because if you're expecting him to be a thousand yard receiver, I struggle getting there with him only because of how many weapons the Bills have at their disposal. But when you look at his touchdown numbers, I mean, dude had, you know, four in one game, five in one game, whatever it was, he's going to probably have if you're, if you're thinking he can be a 10-plus touchdown receiver this year, I think that's well within the scope of what he can do, especially since this offense is going to put up a lot of points. And when you look at the other two receivers on that list, LaVisca Chenault and Jerry Judy, Judy, yeah, maybe better talent, can't stay healthy. Well, I think you're giving him some credit with Russell Wilson out there, but got to stay on the field. And LaVisca Chenault, I think you and I are definitely waiting on. But like you said, people go to Jacksonville to have bad things happen to their career. Uh, Chanel's one that the talent has always been there, but to me, Gabriel Davis might put up the best numbers of these three guys. And obviously for me, 30 year breakout player seems like a slam dunk decision for any article in terms of Gabriel Davis being on the list. Yeah. I mean, I agree with you that I don't know if he's going to be a thousand yard receiver, like you said, because there's so many different weapons, but, um, you know, there's a lot of high expectations, particularly because of that playoff game against Kansas City. I think it was the four four touchdowns he had, which was just absolute insanity. Um, you know, there is going to be, I think he could take that jump in terms of being one of the best receivers in this league. I think it's a lofty expectation, but the dude is a touchdown machine. He may not have the yards, but he is a red zone target all the time. So... I, it could very well be possible this season he gets 
up to 10 plus touchdowns this season. You know, I think that could be in his wheelhouse in terms of more of an accomplishment rather than a thousand yards. But um, it's amazing to see how quickly he's developed. Again, a fourth round pick. You weren't really sure what to expect of him, but he just, his rookie season, he just shocked us all and he's kept it up going. So uh, to me, I, I really hope that he can take that next jump up. And, you know, for him and Diggs to be maybe one of the strongest one-two wide receiver combos in the league, just super deadly. So is he going to get over 1,000 yards? I'm not sure. But 10-plus touchdowns, I think that's very possible. I think he could be a really hot commodity when it comes to a fantasy football player if you're looking to do a little bit of pre-drafting before September. Um, But I really love what he's going to be able to do. I think he is someone that I have to look at and say – if there's going to be a player that could really just kind of arrive more on the national scene for Buffalo, it could be Gabe Davis. For sure. And, and he's maybe, to me, the most important wide receiver on the Bills' offense because of what he offers in the red zone. When he's not in the game, you have, I don't want to say smaller guys, but you have smallish receivers that you need the tight ends, Dawson Knox and now O.J. Howard, have to be there to kind of – help in the red zone, kind of at the passing offense to score touchdowns. Gabriel Davis, like you said, touchdown machine, he's always been that. I think he's probably one of our most hotly used guys that say, hey, fantasy sleeper, who do you want to pick? And we always say, Gabe Davis, because he's kind of like a touchdown guy. He could get a touchdown every single game. Just because of that, you know, between the 20s, maybe not as like the most important player on the field, but I think once you get in the red zone, for this offense, he's the guy you need out there amongst the receivers to really give you that red zone threat that allows you to play action and do different things. When he's not there, I think you notice it. When Dawson Knox is not there, I think you notice the coverage shifting to Davis a little bit more and preventing some of that. So, yeah, not not maybe the yardage and the catches are you going to say, man, what does he need to break out? But touchdowns, 10, maybe 15. I mean, this is a legitimate, legitimate touchdown threat every time the Bills are in the red zone. So as long as he can stay healthy, he's definitely going to earn himself a, a big payday with some production somewhere in this offense. All right, Jordan, that was the Bills news over the last couple of weeks. So, again, there's a lot going on. It's been fairly quiet, which is good. You're getting a lot of press conferences right now with the players as they're in camp. Um, but same old, same old, stay out of injury, stay out of the news. That's what we're looking for. But there are things happening in the NFL. So let's go around the AFC East to kind of see what's been going on in the division. And I got some spicy things for you this week, Jordan. It's getting exciting out there. First of all, let's go to hot Miami, which is no way it's as hot as it is right here in Indianapolis. But reports are that Sean Payton was offered their head coaching job at four years, a hundred million dollars. And correct. He's not their coach, which means they ain't enough. Apparently um, or they kind of make the deal work out with the Saints. But regardless, um, that is John Gruden-esque and beyond. Uh, would you have paid Sean Payton four years, $100 million, or let's just say $25 million a year to coach Miami if you were the Miami front office? That's a steep price. It's a little too steep for my, uh, my liking. I mean, I get it, Sean Payton, you know, Super Bowl winner, right? You know, kind of a good guy all around. Has a movie with Kevin, or what? what's the Paul Blart? Kevin Ma- James. Kevin James, yeah. As, Paul Blart, yeah. yeah. All that works. Yeah, because I think they just look so alike. Um, uh, 
25 million, I don't, when's the last, I, I don't know, is there a coach that's making anywhere near that? Cruden, I think, was he at 10 or 20 a year? He was, he was about, I think he was about 10. I think it was about yeah, 10 because he signed year, his... He was 10 years, 100 million. So 100 million in total, but 10, over 10 years. Yeah, 25 million for a coach is... Uh, listen, Sean Payton's good, but he's not $25 million a year good. I, you know, it just reeked of desperate to me. And listen, they've got a coach that I think is going to be fine for them, who they have at a lot cheaper of a rate. So... Um, Boy, $25 million for me feels desperate. Um, if you're going to give money for Sean Payton, that seems like a real, like, please come to our franchise. We'll do anything. Yeah, I, it's not worth it for me because $25 million a year for four years, you, you're like, you will get us not just one Super Bowl, but two. It's not our money, and owners have stupid money to throw around, but this is a guy also whose success is hindered upon the relationship he had with Drew Brees. Not saying you can't replicate that somewhere else, but you look at even the Patriots, it's going to be about is Belichick able to do the same stuff with Mac Jones that he got out of Tom Brady? Like maybe not to the same extent, but there needs to be, you know, it's not like the Saints have been rocking everyone's world with Jameis Winston or, you know, Trevor Simeon or whoever else. And again, they're not Drew Brees, but you're asking Sean Payton to go to Miami or $25 million a year and make Tua Tagovailoa an amazing Hall of Fame quarterback, essentially. And I don't know if he's that guy. But, hey, that's what Miami does. They throw money around, and sorry, still didn't work. Although, I still think we see Sean Payton back on the NFL sidelines within the next couple of years. Next up, the New England Patriots. Another coaching news. There were reports out of Boston that maybe Bill Belichick will retire from the NFL at some point. They didn't give a date. They didn't say in the next year or two. But at some point, he retires from coaching to go coach professional lacrosse. And not only could he coach it, that lacrosse league thinks that he could win championships as a lacrosse coach. Um, Jordan, there's also some family relationship. I think his daughter played college lacrosse or coaches lacrosse as well. So, Jordan... What are your thoughts on Bill Belichick someday retiring to go coach some lacrosse? I mean, I'm about to disrespect the sport of lacrosse. Um, It's a fine sport, you know, very popular here in central New York, Um, you know, high school level, right? Syracuse University. Um, Wow, what a massive step down it would be go from NFL head coach to a head coach of major league lacrosse. It would be the most exciting thing that happened to the sport of lacrosse. Um, it would be weird. I kind of want to see it. Like, I, I, it wouldn't make any sense to me. But yet, I'd be like, you know what? I'm kind of here for it. I, you know, in fact, Bill, why don't you do it right now? Why don't you just leave the path now? You've done your thing. Hey, greatest coach of all time. Coach him now. I don't know what lacrosse teams need a coach, but I'm sure they can squeeze you in pal you can just call it quits and we'll call it a day i think that's tremendous um i i think this is silly but this is not going to happen for a very long time or at least i feel like it is but uh yeah him coaching lacrosse maybe the most strangest thing i'd ever see and yet i kind of want to see it I mean, what else has he got to do in NFL football, right? Like, win another Super Bowl? Like, he's got the most Super Bowl rings, I think, of any coach. Um, 
he's not going to go to like 15 more straight Super Bowls or whatever ridiculous thing. The AFC East has the Bills in it now. I mean, at this point, it's probably better for his coaching legacy to go to lacrosse, be a two-sport head coach champion, right? Who else does that one? Um, that's how I would play it if I were him. That just feels like a better move for legacy. And I'm with you. Just leave New England. There's no need for you to be there anymore. There's no need. I mean, do you really want to coach Mac Jones? Correct. Um, do you really want? Do you really want to see people make fun of your weird picks that no one else? I mean, the Rams were laughing at their pick in the first round. That's that's where this has come down to. So, you know, I'm with you. I I don't see a point to him coaching the Patriots, and he should do this sooner than later. But yes, I mean. Let's be real. He's, in all seriousness, is he the best coach in NFL history? Statistically, I think that's pretty much there. It's done. Did he cheat? Sure. But beyond all that, statistically, he's there, one of the best defensive minds. If he wants to retire from one coaching job to do another, he can do whatever the heck he wants, right? He's, I think he's earned that and put his time in. Next up, the Jets. Here's an interesting one for you. You're not a gambling, gambling gal, but if you were, Apparently, according to sports bets, the Jets have the most money being bet on them in two different ways. One, their season over under win total of five and a half. Okay. More people have bet on the Jets to cover the over than any other team in the NFL to date. And also, they are picked, at least more money has been thrown at them to win the AFC East, which is more than any other divisional uh, better going on as well. That includes the Bills. Um, Jordan, I know we liked some of the things that Jets have done this offseason, especially in their draft. Um, but unless you're telling me that because the odds are so low that you might as well just throw a dart on the wall, uh, I'm very confused by what's going on here. Then people just wasting money that I wish I had. Um, the five and a half wins, maybe. I guess if you think they're a six-win team, go for it. But the division is – I'm losing my mind over this. Apparently the Jets are a hot commodity when it comes to Vegas. Um, This is the case where a little brother gets a little bit too excited and maybe a little bit too cocky. Um, Five and a half wins, sure. Win the AFC East? Someone got very drunk and put down way too much money in Vegas, and I don't like it. Um. I would say to New York and whoever's betting money, sit down, little brother. Um, know who's in charge. Um, so you cleaned up your act a little bit. You think that you're, you know, hot stuff. You're not. Sit down. Take a seat in the basement and learn your lesson until you're really ready to compete. Um, I am not a betting woman. No, but... Um, Boy, someone's like, you know what? I've got a last wish. I'm going to, you know, life is meaningless. Put my bank account to the Jets winning the AFC East and let my money roll in my grave. Um, Because that is the only thing I can think of as to why anyone would want to do that. So, um, yeah, little brother's getting a little bit too uh, cocky and I think just needs a lesson which will be taught in a couple months and, you know, in the fall that they need to just sit down and just take a seat before they get a little bit too excited. I don't have their schedule in front of me, but I think it was them or Miami that do they don't they start off with every AFC North team. Like that's their first four games for the Jets yep. or something ridiculous like that. 
Um, that's a rough start. And it's not because I think they're not improved. Just those teams in the AFC North should also be out of the gates pretty darn hard to beat. Um, we'll talk about them here a little bit when we go around their draft class. But um, that's a tough start. And then, of course, you play the AFC East, but you expect probably the Patriots to get better as the season goes on with Mac Jones. You probably expect two and the Dolphins to get better as they get more comfortable in that new offense that they're going to be running down there. And, of course, the Bills are in a playoff hunt. They're in a Super Bowl hunt, which means they're not taking their foot off the gas in any game. Maybe you catch them in a trap game, but whew, it, it's one of those things that someone has to be the team that you bet the most on, so I guess it's the Jets. Um it's just a strange, strange thing because I'm like, huh? I, I don't know if they're not even the second team in the AFC East if I was picking today. But we'll wait and see. But if you're banking on Zach Wilson, his muscular physique kind of being a, a new thing, then maybe it works out. But like, they're just too much like the Dolphins for me. If Zach Wilson can prove it, great. But until then, I don't know. So we'll see what happens. But maybe someone makes a lot of money. All right, Jordan, I alluded to it. Let's continue the draft recap. Last week we did the AFC West. This week we're going to go to the AFC North, the reason being the Bills and the rest of the AFCs play these dudes. They get all these AFC North teams, which, you know, the AFC West, I don't know about you, that's probably the toughest division on paper when you look at it, but the AFC North, they can't be that far behind. You have three teams with some legitimate franchise quarterbacks, um, maybe. <laughs> and then you uh-huh. you factor in that they have some really, really good coaches. I think of nothing else, this coaching in this division has proven itself to be very, very top class. So you kind of give them the benefit of the doubt. But let's go through these draft classes. Let's see who, you know, who had the who was your favorite pick amongst their draft class, who was the weirdest or worst. And at the end, we'll say which team had the best and worst amongst this division. So, Jordan, I'll start us off here with the Pittsburgh Steelers. They picked first at pick 20. They went quarterback. They stayed very close to Pittsburgh picking Pittsburgh's Kenny Pickett. Round two, they got wide receiver George Pickens from Georgia. Man, I just realized they, they picked two Pickens. Interesting. Mm. Um, round three, DeMarvin Leal, the defensive tackle from Texas A&M. Um, Jordan, when we talk about this draft class, everyone's going to say it hinges on Kenny Pickett's success. He's got to beat out Mitch Trubisky in camp. It's nice that Mitch Trubisky is there, a veteran that you probably feel good at least starting. But unless the, you know, the guru, you know, the Josh Allen apprenticeship didn't make him like this phenomenal player, he's a guy that probably will give you opportunities to get Kenny Pickett in the games early um, in his rookie year that maybe if Kenny Pickett's ready, you'll know it and you can kind of hit the ground running. But if not, he can sit behind Mitch Trubisky and learn from another former first-round pick who's kind of navigated this circuit. Um, overall, I'll say this. Pittsburgh, okay draft class. There's definitely some guys I like. I really do like George Pickens. I think that gives them a bigger-bodied receiver that they need when you consider Deontay Johnson is there and he's a little bit shorter. Um, I, my favorite pick for them, Calvin Austin, the third, a speedster out of Memphis, another guy that might sneakily be a game breaker, but those wide receivers, it hinges on the quarterback getting them the ball consistently. We don't know if Trubisky and Pickett are going to be those players. You think they might be, but Calvin Austin, the third is a guy that might actually pan out to be a really, really good player. The, I'll say the worst pick, even though I don't really dislike any of these guys too, too much. 
Um, I'm not so sure about Connor Hayward. His brother plays for the Pittsburgh Steelers, so he gets a room with his brother. Um, they list him as a tight end on Michigan State. I think he's going to be more of a fullback. Um, you know, not many teams employ the th- fullback or the the hybrid kind of H back. So we'll see what happens. I think it's more of a you picked him in round six, which is pretty late, but I don't think anyone's clamoring for fullbacks. But it is a very, I think it's a solid draft class. Obviously, everyone's going to point to that quarterback. If he's not a franchise quarterback, I think they're going to think this draft class is a bust, even though there are some elements that I think are pretty solid, safe pieces that they picked up. I mean, this whole draft is going to be hinged on Kenny Pickett because the Steelers had their pick of any quarterback that they wanted, you know, and they thought Kenny Pickett was the best of the bunch. So, you know, they they really hinged on, on this guy. Um, I agree. I really love George Pickens and Calvin Austin. I really love that Calvin Austin pick, you know, in terms of wide receiver options. Time will tell if, you know, Kenny Pickett's going to be legit. Um, this quarterback class has been very questionable at the least. Um, like you said, he's going to compete with Mitch Trubisky for that starting role. Um but we will see Kenny Pickett at some point this season. I, I'm I'm just intrigued in terms of what his potential can be. Um, you know, it remains to be seen. Um, but, you know, this is kind of the Steelers were desperate for a quarterback, and they are hoping that Kenny Pickett is the answer. Again, the local, the local kid from Pitt, um, you know, can he be their savior remains to be seen. But... I think George Pickens and Calvin Austin are like my two favorite picks from this draft for them. Two different options. They lose Juju Smith-Schuster. They get some very interesting receivers in the combo. And then you've got Najee Harris in the backfield. The defense is superb. Is Can the offense start to get around? And I really like the picks of their receivers because I think those are really two solid additions for the Steelers offense. I agree. It, it hinges on the quarterback to make these guys productive, but they definitely have the talent and body types that you want at the NFL, and they, they you can see where this offense is starting to form its foundations. Um, but it depends on the quarterback, and of course you're going to rely a lot on Najee Harris this year for Pittsburgh. Next up, the Baltimore Ravens. Spoiler, they basically win the draft every year when analysts give. Who won the draft? Every year it's Baltimore, but since the Ravens don't win the Super Bowl every year, let's just say it's going to be a good draft on paper, but we'll see what happens, right? But on paper, damn, they did a really good job. Once again, 14th overall pick. They get the safety out of Notre Dame, Kyle Hamilton. Uh, That seems like a giant steal. Then they pick the top center in the draft, Tyler Linderbaum, at pick 25 in the first round. Then they get David Ojabo from Michigan, who unfortunately he's the guy who tore his Achilles while working out for teams in January, I think, maybe February. Um, but he's an edge rusher that probably will miss most of the season, but maybe down the road he's going to produce some serious results. In round three, they got Travis Jones to tackle out of Connecticut. Jordan, my favorite pick in, of theirs, Jordan Stout, the punter they took at Penn State from pick in round four primarily because he was not Matt Ariza. He was another one of the major punters that went off the board before Ariza went off the board. And I was like, oh, no. Um, ironically, they traded with Buffalo to get that punter, um, but that allowed the Bills to still have Ariza on the board later on. So, jokingly, that's my favorite pick. But, I mean, in all seriousness, Kyle Hamilton's a freaking steal at 14. Yeah. Um, there's no way this guy is not going to be a solid NFL safety He's not going to be Ed Reed good. At least let's not put those expectations on this guy. But 
um, it's a stupidly safe stealing pick for the Ravens who really want to have a really good defense. They are in a division with Joe Burrow. Um, just a great, great pick by them, and they're they're fortunate that he fell all the way to 14. I mean, they knocked it out of the freaking park. I think I, I'm gonna just I'm gonna go on a limb right now um, and just say right now, Ravens. Not only did they win the draft in the AFC North, they won the draft. Period. Um, like you said, Kyle Hamilton as a safety again. Yes, it's a safe pick, sure, but this guy is gonna be a perennial Pro Bowler in that secondary. They find Tyler Lindenbaum. Already starting center, David Ajabu is going to start. Travis Jones, defensive tackle from UConn, also going to be a starter for them right away, you know. And then you go down, right, Jordan Stout, too, as well. Um, you know, they got some nice offensive tackle. Daniel Faley um, from Minnesota. This was got just— Isaiah Likely, a guy we like, too, at tight end. This was a really, really, really good draft for Baltimore because— there's a lot of doubts with Lamar Jackson right now in terms of what his future looks like, but they just got could be about several different starters for them in this draft alone if it works out, um, which they really went for value and they got really, really good players. So Baltimore did themselves a really good favor, especially in this division with the Bengals who just went to the Super Bowl. They really stocked up well. Um I thought they had a phenomenal draft. Again, time will tell, obviously, but in terms of the players and the value that they got, they the Ravens just had a really solid draft. They're one of the better teams that drafts every single year, and this was a phenomenal draft for Baltimore. I think they did. They, they just knocked it out of the park. This was just a really A-plus quality level draft for them. It is. They 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 they're very smart in how they maneuver. It's not just that they the players they pick; it's when they pick them. They seem to get right. value for these guys. They're not reaching for players like even that Pittsburgh draft. The the thing you can point at is like I like all the players, but man, they might have reached here. They might have reached there. The Baltimore really doesn't. They let the draft come to them, and everyone says they do that, but they seem to traditionally pick guys at good spots. Whether they work out or not remains to be seen, but. Again, I think their first round in general, and just Hamilton and Linderbaum, that's amazing. And they didn't really move all that much to get either one. They they kind of sat back, and, and those guys came to them and let other teams make crazy moves around them. So next up, let's go to Cincinnati. Uh, they also had a first-round pick. It was pick 31. They went safety Daxton Hill out of Michigan, a guy that we mocked a little bit to the Bills. They round two followed that up with another defensive back in Cam Taylor Britt out of Nebraska. And then round three, Spoiler, it's defensive player is Zachary Carter, the defensive end out of Florida. Um, very, very defensive heavy there in this draft. They didn't have a lot of picks, but they, what they did do, they went defense, and they went defense hard. Um, it's almost like they thought, man, we really need to stop some high-powered offenses in the AFC that we're probably going to see a lot more of. Um, you know, for me, my favorite pick is probably Daxon Hill, and that's only because we, we looked at him the most when it comes to the Bills. I like what he can do. The more film that we saw on him, the more tape that we watched, the more times we saw him, he can just do a little bit of everything, kind of like a Swiss Army knife. Um, we'll see how they use him in Cincinnati. But, again, you need guys that are going to chase down the receivers we just mentioned in Pittsburgh. There's now Deshaun Watson in the division. There's Lamar Jackson in the division. You need guys at those defensive back positions that can prevent the major big plays from happening. I think Dexton Hill can do a lot, and in Cincinnati I do like the potential that he can give them. So I like that pick the most. And as far as picks I don't like, 
I can't say much about the guys later in the draft, but what I will say is they really didn't address the offense hardly at all. They took one offensive guard in the fourth round in Cordell Volson out of North Dakota State. They addressed the offensive line a little bit in free agency. I think, you know, unless they just lost everyone defensively and they had to replace them, I think they might have missed an opportunity to maybe take a little bit of support for Joe Burrow because as good as Joe Burrow is, I think he saw his rookie year without protection. It doesn't matter. He's going to get hit pretty hard. You want to keep supporting that offense and don't forget about it just because you feel comfortable with all the weapons you have out there. I mean, I like Daxon Hill. I think he'll be a, you know, a starter for them week one, um, you know, as a safety for the, the Bengals. The rest of this draft is just kind of meh. Again, it's only six picks overall. Um, you know, really for them, their work was this offseason in terms of rebuilding the offensive line for Joe Burrow. That was their biggest concern. Um, like you said, defensive heavy, especially in their division now, makes a lot of sense. Um, this was not the defining draft. Last year was that for them when they got Jamar Chase. Jamar Chase ended up being that, you know, defining pick for that draft class. And it was it defining any less way or form for them. Um, so, you know, it's an okay draft. I think Daxon Hill is going to be good, um, you know, potential future pro bowler for them. But other than that, this draft is kind of eh, okay. Um, most of the work for Cincinnati was done this off season in terms of rebuilding that offensive line. That was their most pressing concern. Um, this, the rest of this draft is okay, but it was not really the focal point of the Bengals off season. Right, and then we get to the final team, which is the Cleveland Browns. They traded all their picks, basically, for Deshaun Watson. So they didn't start the draft until the third round. And I have to say, Jordan, the picks they made, these are really good picks. Like, they didn't start till the third round. They basically just woke up, you know, late day two and said, oh, we're starting, let's get this draft going. But the picks they made, they start off with Martin Emerson, the cornerback out of Mississippi State, then Alex Wright, the defensive end out of UAB, then Purdue's wide receiver David Bell in the third round, and then Perrion Winfrey to early on in the fourth round to kind of get things going to defensive tackle out of Oklahoma. You know, I love Martin Emerson. I think he's a really, really good press corner out of Mississippi State that you can do a lot with. David Bell is a, you know, he's a catch-everything kind of player, not going to wow you with the athleticism, not going to wow you with the speed, but a guy who's a really, really good route runner and if I know anything from Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean you want receivers that can catch the ball and he's really good at catching the ball um you know when it comes to picks I don't like for them this is going to sound weird coming from me uh fourth round pick kicker in KD York out of LSU I mean the dude can boom it a mile it just maybe it's the Roberto Aguayo thing but kickers really early kind of scare me it worked out for the Bills of Tyler Bass I think he was even a fifth rounder but, you know, picking kickers that early is like they better start right away and they better not miss a darn thing, even though that's normal. Um, but Cade York has a pretty big leg. He's made some big moments for LSU. But that's the pick I'm kind of like, oh, I don't know about. But the rest of this draft class, um, I think you can see there's some, there's some solid picks and value considering they didn't start till later in the draft. Um, yeah, I mean, I like the David Bell pick. Um, Jerome Ford, I like from Cincinnati too, as well in the fifth round, um, taking a kicker in round four. I mean, listen, the bills took, uh, what was it? Tyler Bass, I think it was round five or six, you know, so can't really knock it too much. Um, 
Yeah, like I said, the Browns made their trade with Deshaun Watson, which we will talk about here in just a minute. Um, so it it's not that bad of a draft for not having a first-round pick uh, or first or second-round pick. Um, you know, again, I think David Bell's going to be good. I think Jerome Ford's going to be good um, for them. Um, you know, even Martin Emerson could, you know, help them add some young corner depth um, to them as well. So it's a solid draft, um, surprisingly so for not having a pick until round three. Um, but again, their whole offseason was Deshaun Watson and baking on the fact that Deshaun Watson is going to turn their fortunes around. Um, but they've added some nice complimentary pieces. I think Perion Winfrey, too, kind of a steal early on in round four for them. That's defensive tackle from Oklahoma. Um, so a solid draft, but nothing that's going to be like super insane. And they took one of the ex-NBA players, Isaiah Thomas, the edge rusher out of Oklahoma. So we were watching him and Kobe Bryant very closely in this draft. And I think there's a Chris Paul, too, that was in there as well. Um, lots of NBA feel in this draft. So, Jordan, that's the AFC North rundown. Um, I think let's just put this in. You and I both unanimously agree probably that Baltimore had the best draft class out of this 100%. division. So who had the worst draft class out of this division? I'll say Cincinnati reluctantly. Again, it's not like anyone really had a bad draft, per se, in this division. Um, I just think that Daxton Hill is fine, and then everything else has just been kind of meh uh, for the Bengals. And I'll be a little different. I'll say Pittsburgh did, only because, yes, we don't know what Kenny Pickett's going to be if he's a Pro Bowl quarterback. No one's going to say that, but for now... Um, they picked him pretty middle of the first round, what, pick 19, I think we said it was. Um, but then there was another quarterback taken until round three. So because of that, let's just assume it was probably a reach, right? Like if you didn't need to take him that high, you could have done something else and come back to it. Um, hindsight's twenty twenty. If that's your guy, that's your guy. But, um, you know, their, their draft class is kind of, I like a lot of the pieces a little all over the board when it comes to value of picks. Because the quarterbacks fell as far as they did after Kenny Pickett, I'll just say Pittsburgh would be my, my least favorite draft class. Again, Cleveland, obviously, no first-rounders, no second-rounders. You're going to look at it and be like, wait a minute, they didn't do anything. But I really do like the picks they made when they got to make picks, right? They, they, they pretty much hit some pretty good home runs, like you mentioned, late in the draft, um, which they needed to do because they gave up so many picks. So that is the AFC North, and we'll do another division in a couple of weeks when we record again. But, Jordan, let's go around the NFL to wrap this one up. And you mentioned it. We were going to talk to Sean Watson because, I mean, we can't not talk about Deshaun Watson because he goes to the Browns. The Browns did a, they did a lot of due diligence with their investigation, which coincidentally happened like the moment the Texas court said they're not going to file criminal charges on them. And then, bam, our due diligence is wrapped up. We're good. Um, but since then, since he's been in Cleveland, um, market four more accusers have come out against Deshaun Watson. Two were published in the New York Times this week. Another two are potentially on the way, if you believe what you're reading. Um, so that would make it up to 26 women who are accusing Deshaun Watson of various sexual assault or mm, personal misconduct crimes, whatever you want to call it, um, there are rumors that his legal team has offered every woman $100,000 to just kind of go away. Deshaun Watson declined comment on that and said that's up to his legal team. He doesn't know anything. But he did say today at Brown's minicamp that he just wants the opportunity to clear his name 
in time. Uh, Jordan, I'm not going to read the New York Times report. I don't know if you did read it. It gets very graphic, the legal documents, pretty quickly. Um, Obviously, these are all variations of the same type of incident, the same um, piece of the puzzle. And we can talk about Deshaun Watson for a long time, but when it comes on the field, right, I think we've talked about him and these behaviors are egregious. We all agree on that. Check, check. We know that there's going to be a suspension, and Cleveland really whittled his contract to be as favorable to – take on in a suspension, but reward Deshaun Watson for his play. Okay, weird, horrible ethics. Um, but Jordan, you know, does this change in your mind maybe the length of that suspension? Does this change maybe how the NFL should handle this? Um, because it ain't going away. And if you believe the New York Times report, 66 different masseuses. That That's right. He didn't just find he – couldn't, he couldn't find one he liked apparently. So he had to do 66 different ones. Over 17 months, which means you're about 40 more that could potentially come forward at any point if similar allegations happen. Um, this isn't going away. And this now is making the Browns look bad because, again, we just talked about it. they gave up a lot of picks for him. They gave a lot of money for it. So I don't know who this looks worse for and what you think needs to happen from here, but mm-hmm. I feel like this is going to be a recurring topic on around the NFL for us and just about everyone else for the next several months. So I did read the New York Times article, and like you mentioned, not only was it 66 different masseuses, but the Houston Texans were aware that this was going on and helped in some way facilitate these masseuses for Deshaun Watson, which now makes the Texans possibly culpable and part of this. Um when there is smoke, there is fire. The Cleveland Browns, when they traded for Deshaun Watson, said that they did their due diligence. The New York Times did what the Browns promised they would do and didn't do. So if you're asking me a couple things, um, if these allegations are, again, true, Deshaun Watson needs to be suspended for the entire season. I, You know, six games has been floated around. But if we're talking up to 66 different potential victims, when there is smoke, there's fire, and it's a blazing fire. If you want my honest opinion, I think Deshaun Watson should be suspended the entire season without pay. I know it's not going to happen because the NFL won't let it happen. And then if it is true that the Houston Texans were helping facilitate this in some way, this is not also not going to happen, but I would revoke some of those first-round picks that the Houston Texans got from Cleveland. I know that's not going to happen because that would be, that'd be whoa, what a harsh penalty that would be. I would rescind some of those first-round picks that the Houston Texans got because if these allegations are true, they let this go on and then flipped him to Cleveland for a fortune, multiple first-round picks the Houston Texans got to help rebuild their franchise for the next, I think, three, four years, something like that. Um, I would rescind those first-round picks. Again, that's, it's not going to happen? Absolutely not. That would require Roger Goodell to actually do something, put his foot down. Um, at the very least, Deshaun Watson needs to be suspended for an entire season. And the Cleveland Browns should be honestly embarrassed that they didn't do due diligence. They didn't do investigation. They were just like, they. the, the Cleveland Browns just waited to see if he was going to be criminally charged. And the second that he wasn't, they just made the trade for him without actually doing any actual work. And congratulations. Uh, now he's probably looking at definitely more than six games at this point, potentially up to an entire season. Um, so I hope it's worth it. 
I hope it was worth it because you're probably not going to have your quarterback for now at least, at the very least, half a season, if not maybe the entire season. So I, I, I think the Cleveland Browns have a lot of shame, and I would be incredibly embarrassed to be a Browns fan at this point because it is just pitiful the reaction that they had. And Deshaun Watson can sit there and say, I'm an innocent man because he wasn't charged criminally. When you have up to 66 different masseuses, what? there's no rational explanation for it. Sorry. It, you know, when there's smoke, there's fire, and it's a blazing fire. And will all these things happen? Probably not. If he, doesn't, if he does not get suspended this season, the NFL will be a joke, an absolute joke. So that's my pace in case, but that's just me. And that's a fair point. I think a lot of people feel that same way. I'm a little more extreme, of course, if you use logic and you think the NFL is a giant machine that who cares, we can always replace everybody. Then I take the Shooter McGavin approach, and I just want to tell Roger Goodell to kick him out of the league, Doug. Um, there's so many – there's no need for a player like this to be in the league. And you also take the fact that – what's his name? Calvin Ridley got suspended for a year for to you. bet like yeah. $1,300 on the Falcons to win a game. Like – um, while he was injured, and he's out of the league for a year, um, much less egregious to me and much less damaging. But I agree with you on everything. Houston Texans should be culpable in some ways. It's interesting because the people who commit those types of acts, they're all gone, right? Bill O'Brien is gone. The GM slash coach is gone. The new guys, they inherited a team that Deshaun Watson is already holding out from during these allegations, right? So you should still – you know, attack the owners in some way, whether that's the pocketbook, whether that's draft picks, like you mentioned, but all those guys that kind of skirted the, the ethics and moral code and criminal acts, whatever you want to call it, um, they're all gone and they don't have to face the, the repercussions, unfortunately. So they should be suspended as well if they're still coaching or GMing or something else somewhere else in the league. Um, but I agree with you. I think all those things are accurate. Browns fans don't deserve this. They're a really good fan base. They've suffered a lot and they got, I, again, it was just weird that you give up on Baker Mayfield when he played with one shoulder, said, okay, this is not our guy to get us to the Super Bowl, so we'll take you know, Mr. Sexual Allegation instead and give up our whole franchise for him. It just seems stupid and weird, and it's like you made a deal with the devil and now you're getting dinged for it. So I don't know how long the suspension is going to be. It'll be appealed. You also wonder, too, I mean, should they make the suspension now or should they wait? Because there's probably going to be more, right? And you're only going to suspend them once for the same thing. So I don't know. Maybe you have to do it like a per woman accusation of the game or three women is one and a half games. I don't know. It's something ridiculous, but I wouldn't want to be Roger Goodell right now. But it feels like, I mean, this type of person you don't need in the league. And the Browns made a big mistake, as we kind of thought they probably did. And they're sitting with Baker Mayfield still there. Um, sounds like they're close to making a trade with the Carolina Panthers. The Panthers are really wanting that trade now sooner than later. Of course, Carolina wants it now because if Watson's out for a long, long, long time, Browns are going to start groveling to Baker and be like, hey, buddy, come on back. We can do that. We can run it back one more time. So we'll see. But horrible look for all parties involved. And, and again, the main takeaway for me is more are coming. I mean, there's, there's almost no question that at some point you're going to find out even more of this and maybe more details during the season, which is going to be worse for, for Deshaun Watson, at least. Next up, Bruce Arians. Side note, switching to someone everyone hates to someone everyone likes, Bruce Arians. 
he has told CBS Sports and some other reporters that he would probably still be coaching if Tom Brady didn't unretire. There were rumors that Brady and Arians just had a um, falling out in terms of, uh, what's it called, falling out in terms of ideas on how to put the game together and ideas how to manage each other. So what are your thoughts on the fact that Bruce Arians, one of the most likable, you know, riverboat gambler guys, is out of the league kind of because of Tom Brady? Uh, another one bites dust in the Tom Brady uh, escapade, I guess. Um I just, again, the whole Tom Brady thing was so odd this season. And I guess Bruce Arians maybe feeling a little bit burned of like, well, I'd still be here if he didn't pull the one-two switcheroo and retired for approximately, what was it, two weeks? Something to the effect. Um, you know, I sure, I guess. I don't know. Byron Leftwich is going to be a good coach for them. Um, but, boy, I, I just... Can we go back to those two weeks when we thought Tom Brady was gone? I enjoyed that. I missed that time. Those were a great two weeks. It didn't last very long, but I certainly miss it. And I'm sure Bruce Arians did too, because he thought maybe he'd still be coach. And if only, if only Tom Brady could ever make his mind up concretely. We still know Tom Brady's the worst father, right? Like, I want to spend more time with my family and kids. Two weeks later, yeah. Oh, God, they're I'm annoying. <laughs> I don't like living with supermodels. I'm out. I'm going to go back to, you know, the football grind and play till I'm like 3,000 years old, and maybe I'll play lacrosse with Bill Belichick when I'm like in my 80s. You know, oh I don't God. know. Um, <laughs> this is always kind of a rumor that whatever the falling out was, whatever the disagreement was, and, you know, and whatever, that because, because Brady kicked Arians out, not Arians, but, you know, it was kind of like, I'll come back if this guy's not here. It, just kind of goes back to like Tom Brady's kind of sleazy dude like sure maybe he's a nice guy but he's always kind of weird and he can't really know much about him I just have a reason not to like Tom Brady and I'm good with that because I already don't like him and I feel like people are starting to see his personality like oh he's kind of funny I'm like eh, I, don't, I don't buy it I don't buy it there's something behind those eyes that I feel like is pure troll and evil and I don't really enjoy it um, but it's also Tampa Bay saying you know we need Tom Brady to win a Super Bowl we have a window um, can't really blame them too much, but also like how much more coaching does Byron Luckwich need to do? I think it's time for him to get a shot. I don't know if he's going to be great or good, bad and different, but I do know like based on the offensive performance in Tampa, you know, he got a lot of head coaching interviews. I think Leftwich, this is the best opportunity for him to succeed with a staff that he's familiar with, a team that knows the culture, knows the playbook. Um, Bruce Arians is still in the front office. Uh, so I think it's a, in the end, it might work out good for all parties, but I also, you know, wait and see on Byron Leftwich. I'm not sold on, on that one just yet. And, Jordan, let's close this out because, like I promised, we're counting down to hard knocks, baby, which means we are a pseudo-Lions podcast at the tail end of all these episodes, <laughs> which people probably hate and have turned off. But let's talk about it. Dan Campbell has been in press conferences during his mini camps. He's got an offensive coordinator. He's got a defensive coordinator. They are, let's say, rising stars. I don't know who the offensive coordinator is, but I know Aaron Glenn is his defensive coordinator, a guy who got head coaching interviews off and on. Um, last I recall, Dan Campbell was the offensive coordinator because he got tired of the way they were calling plays. Um, but he's, he's apparently given that back up to the actual coaching staff. But that being said, he has said that he wants some 
hard and difficult chess matches in training camp between his two coaches to strategize how to beat each other in training camp. Um, this feels like something Dan Campbell would say. It's definitely something I think a lot of teams do, you know, in light spurts. But I feel like the Lions are going to do this with like an overkill drive to like one of these sides of the team he wants to like dismantle the other side and like take their souls out. I think if he had it his way, that's what would happen. Um, so let's also say, you know, in this, Jordan, what are the over-under for training camp fights you expect the Lions to have, knowing that their offense and defenses are going to go hard at each other and try to beat the other eat at each other all camp? I'll say, I'll guess around 17. 17, exactly. Um, I love that Dan Campbell's like, oh, wait, I want you two to fight to the death, um, and whoever comes out top will be... Uh, truly the victorious coordinator. I hope they go to absolute battle. I hope that he has a sword, Dan Campbell. Um, a, a lion, a real lion would be nice. A throne would also be very entertaining too as he well. He wants a real lion. Don't forget, he wants lions at camp. Correct. So I'm just saying, if we can work it out with the Detroit Zoo or the Detroit Humane Society, let's make it happen. Because I believe Dan Campbell would would no joke if possible ride into training camp on a lion with a sword saying to battle to death you know like a you know brave heart type of interaction so um i better see i better see something to that effect on hard knocks if i know i will if not i'll be uh severely disappointed I don't know. If, I don't think he's a gimmick guy, though. I think he's just going to say crazy things, and then he's actually going to like follow through on some of them. Like, sure, he's not going to have a lion in camp, but I bet for the kicking competition or punting competition, whatever special team stuff, I bet he is like right there in the kicker's faces. Like, you're going to kick it over me, and I'm going to, or I'm going to tackle you. Five, four, three, two, one. You know, it's not going to be. It's going to be very intense, but. The Lions are a young team. There's a culture they're trying to implement, and Dan Campbell, to me, is just implementing his style of a team and his style of a culture, and and it's working for me. I'm not there, but it works for me, and it should also be working for Lions players who are just in New England culture with Matt Patricia. Um, oh, man, we didn't even talk about the fact that Matt Patricia and Joe Judge are coaching up Mac Jones. That's going to go great for, for New England, by the way. Um, so, yeah, I'm excited. I think I'm with you. Over under, let's say, eight would be my training camp fights. I think these guys are going to get pretty intense. It'll be interesting if Dan Campbell wears this team out in training camp, trying to get them ready for the season, or if he has an off switch, because I haven't seen it yet, but maybe behind closed doors on hard knocks we will. Uh, Jordan, that is all the content I have for this week. I know we will be back in two weeks, but until then, uh, definitely stay cool during this hot, hot summer. Same to you and same to all of our listeners. That will do it for another episode of Two Bills in a Pod. Thank you so much for listening. We are on, again, Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio at Two Bills in a Pod. And make sure you also follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Two Bills in a Pod for our latest episode drops. Follow us on Twitter, Daniel at Graybeard Han, me, Jordan at Osby44. We will talk to you in two weeks. Enjoy the summer weather and stay cool. See ya. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.